0: The Glossy Podcast is brought to you by Just Works. Just Works helps startups and small businesses take care of their teams with access to top notch benefits for financial, mental, and physical health. With Just Works, teams of all sizes get access to high quality, affordable health insurance and wellness perks, as well as automated payroll and HR tools, all in one simple platform that makes work and life easier and more fun to navigate. Try Just Works for your team. Get the first two months free by going to justworks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to The Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milneas, and on today's episode, Amber Atherton, the CEO of Zyper, discusses the anti-influencer movement, how brands have gotten smarter about their influencer strategies over time, and what the future of the industry looks like. Hope you enjoy it. So Amber, why
2: don't you tell us a little bit about what Zyper is? Sure. Um, Zyper is a community software platform. So we help brands connect to their super fans. So not influencers, but everyday consumers who have a genuine connection to the brand. And we've built a software tool, which is an app and an analytics dashboard that essentially helps brands build community at scale. Mm-hmm. And when you launched Zyper, where were we in terms of the the influencer industry? Uh, what, was, what was going on at the time? So... Launched Cyper in London two years ago before we moved out to Palo Alto to do the accelerator program Y Combinator. And at the time, the space was still very much macro-influencers. There was just a hint of conversation around micro-influencers, but it really, we weren't even there yet. Brands were just starting to use influencers. Um, and it's amazing how rapidly the democratization has taken place from macro to micro to nano. Mm. Um, so it's it's been a really a, a rapid rise of this being an always on part of a brand's budget. Mm-hmm. So I think even the
1: rise of micro influencers hints at you know what what you're talking about today, which is this idea that influencers at large have you know, maybe lost some of their engagement or just how they're able to relate to customers, especially on on behalf of the brands that they're working with. Um, so how do you kind of explain the way that micro-influencers came to be? Like if, if we're talking about this push from first that we had these mega-influencers and then these, these smaller influencers started mm-hmm. up, where did that come from? I
2: think this there's just a huge lack of trust now because Gen Z particularly are extremely savvy. Everybody knows that you can buy followers and you can use an editing app and create a brand online. So there's just no authenticity in influencer content anymore. So there's this return to a relatable, real, unfiltered aesthetic and just real normal people who don't have loads of followers, but do have an engaged friendship group. So I think that brands are starting to realize that, hold on, every customer is actually an influencer. Mm. And we know that 70% of Gen Z are now using ad blockers and more than ever, people are trusting their peers over influencers. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's interesting to see how this is evolving, kind of going back to what is always been the most successful form of marketing, which is word of mouth, peer-to-peer referral. Right, exactly.
1: Uh, with the, with the word authenticity, it comes up so often, even I think we're in the uh, age of authenticity fatigue, at least in the way that marketers mostly talk about it. Where do you think is the most effective use or form of of authentic brand marketing, and especially on the
2: influencer side? I think that something that sets Zyper apart is we're more of a loyalty program and the community element of it is really important. It's not just a, oh, you know, here's a brief, go and create some content for us as a solo person. It's much more about being part of a network of people that genuinely love a brand and care about, you know, the values of the brand. You know, if we both like Tom's Shoes, it's probably likely that we both like the same films or maybe the same music and you actually create friendships and there's more that a brand can tap into there than just content. It's actually, uh, you know, a network.
1: Mm, Interesting. And,
2: And then how does Zyper
1: help to create that, that network effect? Uh, you know, what were brands looking for in, you know, when you were working with them, how did you sort of pitch it as like, this is, you know, sort of like an influencer tool, but, but not really.
2: Really, it's about how we identify these fans. So that's what we spent so long building in this garage in Palo Alto was a way to build a social graph that uses computer vision, complex queries and natural language processing to really identify those peer-to-peer groups um, on a massive scale. And we're looking at people who have a genuine connection to the brand, um, who've posted about the brand, not the reverse of what an influence marketplace is which is you know i might say oh yeah i i love working with tom shoes i'll pay me to work with tom shoes whereas we flip the model completely on its head and say hey we've actually noticed you and you really do love tom shoes so you can't just apply to be working with the brand. We have to, you know, validate mm-hmm. the connection. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, in the, what you've been hearing from brands, what what are they looking for from influencers today? Do you think they've kind of been burned by this idea that, oh, if they get someone with millions of followers, hundreds of thousands of followers, that their reach is automatically going to explode? What's, what's kind of the reality of the situation there?
2: It's a great question. And I think it's one that brands are going to continue to struggle with in how do you get away from, using reach as the main metric for Mm. gauging success. Mm -hmm. And we really try and advocate for high engagement and authenticity in terms of the level of conversation that these brand fans are having around the brand. And I think that's a key point is that how do you as a brand manager, now that Instagram's removing likes, how are you going to measure success from these community or influencer campaigns and and ultimately it's got to be driving sales at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and I think um that's that's the the the, where influencers have particularly lacked is it and why part of the founding story of Zyper is that I had an e-commerce company I set that up and a lot of influencers bought and wore our jewelry and often what happened there was you know it led to a huge spike in traffic when Beyonce or Cara Delevingne was wearing our jewelry. But what really drove long tail growth and user acquisition was when we were getting involved in these fangirl communities on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And that was a phenomenal way to drive LTV.
1: Yeah. How do you make sense of that? The the difference between who can drive traffic or
2: you know awareness and who can actually drive sales? It's really fascinating. There are different patterns that we see in terms of somebody's aesthetic profile uh, what their brand affinities are how they talk about a brand versus people who are driving traffic versus sales so uh this whole pocket of men in the in a fashion brand community that we work with that are really driving sales through group chats and that's they're sharing their link it's secret codes it's not public and um it's an ever evolving pattern that we're looking for of like, okay, if I post my shoes, I'm working with a shoe brand and I post them as, as a flat lace style, we learn, Oh, actually that type of image this week has driven more sales than another type of image. And then we can optimize the community to be creating or talking more in that way. As long as it still feels honest and, how they would create content anyway.
1: Mm -hmm. How much control should a brand have when working with influencers or communities around the the type of content that they are sharing with their fans or or posting on behalf of the brand? It seems like, you know, what we've heard is that a lot of influencers are hired by the brands because of their own aesthetic, but some brands have, hard time letting go of that control
2: yeah I think particularly when we're working with luxury brands it is a struggle Uh, they obviously have a responsibility to protect their legacy and uh, the idea of letting a community interpret the brand values in a way that they feel fit is is scary for a heritage brand and I think that we is just sort of little by little, we do have a function where you can create a brief and campaign details within our dashboard. And I think some guidance from a brand, but ultimately this is where it comes down to really finding the right people. Do they have, that's why we've put so much, placed so much importance on the aesthetic um, and the computer vision side is, you know, are they going to create a piece of content that is off brand on their feed? Probably not because their entire feed is like that aesthetic that we know will work well for x luxury brands so Mm -hmm. we're already lowering the risk factor before we've even started working with somebody um but i think a balance between having some guidelines and giving people the option to create something that feels natural is important
1: Mm -hmm. for the platforms that you work on i'm assuming primarily instagram are there other channels that this comes into play with yeah so
2: we use um Instagram, Twitter, and now YouTube. So, um, we've just integrated YouTube and we're able to run the same filtering on YouTube in terms of finding a brand's top 1% of fans on YouTube as we are on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And for, for brands on the, on the, uh, topic of traffic
1: versus conversion and and brand awareness and where that all comes into play, like what do brands usually want to get out of these partnerships? Is it to just to drive sales i imagine you know to your point word of mouth and, and just sort of you know raising a brand's profile by what, you know sharing it with customers that validate you know the brand and, and the products how do you think about or how do the brands think about in, in in their work with you what what they're really looking to get
2: out of it in terms of engagement i think what we're really hearing from brands now is that they want to turn their most passionate customers into brand advocates and that's not just to create content but it's to develop new products it's to hear feedback it's to be a focus group 2.0 so it's realizing that we're increasingly living in a decentralized world the consumer has more power than ever with their data influences being democratized and really a brand's customers are their best asset in terms of being a product development and marketing department and if they can identify and bring these people into the brand and allow them to have the access then they're going to remain relevant, mm-hmm. and do you think that this is
1: coming from a pushback against you know the way intro- influencers have been introduced to customers and the way they've worked with brands so far? Uh, you know, I think to your point, word of mouth. And that type of organic engagement seems to be a little bit, little bit of a pushback to all of the paid posts we're seeing on Instagram and, and, and social media platforms. So within the, in the influencer community, it's like this this community mindset, this um, you know super fan idea that seems to be pushing back against this generic influencer
2: approach. Yeah, I think influencers are essentially a new media buy, and it's. Fairly obvious that influencers, there's going to be a programmatic tool where you can just, you know, buy ad spots on influencers' feeds. And I think what we're seeing sort of rise up is this real movement that is so, um, you know, anti-targeting, anti-targeted by ads, much greater concern over privacy and security. And just... A lack of trust of people who are outside of your friendship group, um, which, you know, it's not something new. We're just, we're t- I think there's probably just fatigue. We've reached peak social. People mm-hmm. want to get off Instagram or they have a Finster and, you know, a passion account. And it's, there's just a backlash, I think, against what has been created by Facebook.
0: The Glossy Podcast is brought to you by Just Works, a new type of support system for work and life. JustWorks helps startups and small businesses take care of their teams with access to top-notch benefits for financial, mental, and physical health. With JustWorks, teams of all sizes get access to high-quality, affordable health insurance and wellness perks, as well as automated payroll and HR tools, all in one simple platform that makes work and life easier and more fun to navigate. If you ever have a question about your benefits, you can call JustWorks anytime, 11 p.m. on a Sunday. New Year's Eve, their around-the-clock support team is standing by. Try JustWorks for your team. Now, for a limited time, get the first two months free by going to JustWorks.com slash The Glossy. That's JustWorks.com slash The Glossy. I think what's
1: interesting is that when you think of the, the biggest influencers today, they all started with smaller fan bases, smaller communities that they were able to talk to in a more genuine way. Um... You know, as any of these micro influencers or communities start to gain more of an audience, how do you prevent against the natural evolution of of what their relationship is with, with their audience and how they work with brands and, and making sure it stays like pretty authentic, I guess you would say?
2: Absolutely. The key way that we do that is when people have identified by Zyper. We, as part of the onboarding process, we are ensuring that they are educated that we're not an influencer platform, and we, um, you know, we don't give free stuff away. This is not about growing your followers. It's really about: Are you a genuine fan of the brand? Most people in these fan communities, almost all of them, they have a job. You know, they are um, an art curator, they are a paramedic, they. Are not doing this to become an influencer it's just like a creative hobby mm-hmm. and it's that element of it being a community and meeting other people and uh having like the opportunity to co-create with a brand you love that that is the motivation versus gaining followers or being paid however it does often happen where we've created this community and beautiful content is Coming more and more every week, and then you end up becoming a better content creator. You grow your followers, and then suddenly a brand reaches out to you and says, "You know, hey, we'd actually like to pay you to do this." Mm-hmm. And um, that that does happen, but uh, you know, we're we're fine. We're focused on the very long tail of allowing every consumer to be within a brand's community. So if they want to graduate to become influencers, then um, we can. That that happened,
1: right? Natural launchpad, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, and so, on the on the subject of fake followers and and just all of the influencer fraud that is has ballooned up within the community. Do you think brands are, are finally smartening up to it, or it seems like it's a pretty pervasive problem and, and kind of hard to track until we have a really uh, high profile incident of you know purges and exposes? Um, where where do you see that problem heading? It's really
2: got to come from the top down brands need a new metric to measure success by that isn't reach. It's the conversation is still so centered around the number of followers somebody has or how much reach somebody has. But if that reach is completely fake, then how can you possibly use that as a metric to judge success by? So I think there's, it still ultimately needs to tie back to, is this driving sales for Mm -hmm. the business? But More than that is this increasing LTV. You know, one of the clients that we work with is a a ride-sharing app and customers who are acquired through the fan community links are taking three times as many rides as somebody acquired through a Facebook ad. Mm -hmm. And I think that that speaks to the sort of natural retargeting effects that you have within a community. So brands are being oversaturated with ever Increasing customer acquisition costs. So, um, you know, it's cheaper to retain a customer than acquire a new one. And actually, just recognizing your customers and fans is just the first step into increasing LTV. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. On the on the um, topic of customer acquisition costs, how does this help to lower those? You mentioned lifetime value. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you can if you can up that by building better relationships with customers from the outset, that's one way. But in terms of how brands can actually get into the door with new customers outside of paying a really big uh, you know, influencer post fee or putting more money behind a sponsored ad campaign, where do you see this this falling
2: into that that broader strategy to help uh, lower customer acquisition costs? That's why a lot of our clients see Zyper as a loyalty program. It is a longer term, always on part of your marketing strategy. And it's not overnight. Um, it builds over time. And it's not just a quick fix. And I think that that's the uh issue with with influencer marketing is that you um you know sometimes you get a hit or a miss, you get a hit, you get a lot of sales, and then it's a miss. And uh, this is just a proven a strategy of, you know, community compounds over time. Mm-hmm. And the more people we build into the community, um, the more people want to be a part of the community and want to be customers. So I think we see it as if we can identify the right people to advocate for your brand um and their friendship group is the right audience to be advertised to and converted as potentially new customers, um, then that's really powerful for brands to leverage. Mm
1: -hmm. And you mentioned there's like when you're working with influencers, like there's hits, there's misses. Is there any like signs behind that? How do brands judge you know whether or not something is going to work because i imagine there's a lot of factors going into this um so you know in in terms of the traditional approach to working with influencers how have brands typically tried
2: to almost catch that lightning in a bottle yeah absolutely i think it's a research process you have to really put the time in to find and trust that this person is going to be the right advocate for you and that their follower base is the right demographic. You know, we recently worked with the DTC brand hymns and one of the segments of the community was actually uh, models girls, you know, in the West coast. Why not because they were buying men's hair loss products, but because 90% of their like friendship group or small audience was men, mm-hmm. him's target customer. Mm-hmm. So looking at those details of location of like who they actually are is key. But I think it's also the longer term relationship that you have to be optimizing for. It's not just, Oh, Hey, promote my brand today. Cause then there's nothing stopping them from promoting a competitor tomorrow. Right. So what's that's really useless for a brand essentially. Mm. Um, so optimizing for a long-term partnership, um, is key.
1: Right. And, you know, when we're thinking about the different ways that influencers have become so saturated, do you see any categories that are still untapped, um, for, for this type of marketing? Uh, you know, I think the big ones that come to mind because we've seen so much activity there, fashion, beauty, you know, mommy blogging, like where else do you see an opportunity for
2: brands to to leverage this? Brands have a phenomenal opportunity in Microsoft cultures on Instagram or YouTube. So just areas of interest uh, that can be so niche um, from beige lovers to, uh, you know, barefoot running uh, to, you know, food my cat eats or my cat reviews food. Mm -hmm. These are huge communities with amazing engagement and, um, brands have an opportunity to be part of that conversation. And I don't think it's so, uh, broad as to say, oh, uh, food is it dessert? Is it the next huge Instagram influencer category? It's really getting much more micro into topics of interest right so we saw micro-influencers now it's like micro categories yeah it's like we say it's like micro subcultures Mm -hmm. are replacing Mm micro-influencers it's a topic-based thing versus a individual-based thing i'm more interested in being part of a topic and community than i am in just following somebody which is i think speaks to the rise of you know a discord or um Slack, where people are sort of co-opting those tools to have community-based discussions um, instead of just following individuals.
1: Right. Uh, and, you know, when you think about these different places that these conversations are happening, do you, what do you say about the idea that, okay, once, once brands actually do show up, it, it can take away that, that magic of the community, just that authentic, you know, piece that we're really always looking for. How do brands participate without you know, being like, okay, now oh now everything's sponsored. Cause then people are always just going to find the next thing.
2: Absolutely. And we have a important role to play in educating brands that it doesn't always need to be a, a product shot in these communities. It can just be storytelling. It doesn't even need to feature the, the image or the video. It doesn't even need to feature the brand. It just it has to be very subtle and believable and brands not falling into the trap of over briefing what the image and content needs to be, because we do want these spaces to still remain areas where people can have conversations. Um, but that's why within the group chats in the communities, there's so much free flowing conversation that's happening and the brand is almost the vehicle for the social network. So as long as they sort of step out the way and let the conversation happen naturally, then, um, I think, people will still stay engaged and not try and look for a new area.
1: I know that influencer marketing has struggled a lot with disclosure and identifying what's an ad, what's not, you know, if something's gifted, does that make it an ad? If it wasn't just sheer payment, where does this fit into that into that conversation whenever people are somewhat affiliated with, with brands, but not, being paid directly. uh, How does disclosure fall into your strategy?
2: Yeah. Disclosure, being transparent around the fact that you are in a brand's community is really important. So all of the brand community fans will have partnering with X brand or X brand partner in their bio and in their content so that there's transparent disclosure of the partnership there. But it's really still a grey area, and there are posts that I see every single day that are not transparent around disclosing the partnership. And um, it's it's difficult because it is is a, is a loyalty program. If you get a free gift with purchase, uh, or you're rewarded for for spend, is that should you be declaring that if you mm-hmm. post
1: about it? Mm-hmm.
2: It seems like the laws haven't really kept up with with the evolving market absolutely not um but hopefully they will catch up because um yeah there's got to be trust in what consumers are seeing and that's important you know and we're talking about using these community channels differently just
1: rethinking how they work with influencers i'm imagining you know we have so many digital native brands that have rethought how they use social platforms in a bunch of different ways how are how are they rethinking the way that they work with the people that will you know promote their brands? And how are the
2: more traditional brands faring as well? Mm. I think that an obvious one to mention, you know, straight off the bat is Glossier. So they always had community at the forefront of their strategy. And, um, you know, we're really privileged to have the same investor for Unadventures as them. And we share such an aligned vision on how, you know, real people can drive a movement in a much more engaging way than, influencers can so i think you know it's it's important to mention one of the you know early innovators of this community movement but i think traditional brands are also starting to catch up i think um you know, we we work with Magnum Ice Cream as um, part of Unilever and they're, you know, creating a, a great community-based movement around, you know, taking pleasure seriously in their Magnum Ice Creams. And there is a massive opportunity for CPG groups and more traditional retail brands to embrace this model of allowing your customers to tell these stories for you. So um, those are, I think, probably two good examples. Right.
1: Uh, it almost feels like we're coming full circle where, a lot of influencers start out as bloggers, which are storytellers. Uh, you where are the other like untapped opportunities that you think will help to shape this evolution of of how influencers are telling stories or even just like that definition and, and what
2: that's going to continue to mean going forward? I think it's it's got to evolve. I, I feel what we're seeing now is those influencers are, are changing their sort of title and status to content creators and uh, they their creators, they're not influencers anymore. Um, but one key trend I think to mention is dark communities. So it's not just about um, influence and the number of followers you have now, but it's about dark social. So those closed private networks where people are having those conversations. I think that's very, very, very interesting for the Gen Z and also we can't ignore things like Fortnite and Twitch where that those four walls where those videos are being created that's the new outdoor advertising and that's I think the next frontier of brands you know reaching new audiences is through those gaming platforms. Right. That's, that's going to be fun to watch mm. and <laughs> figure that
1: out. Yes. Uh, in, in general, I think this is, you know, a question we've been asking for a while, but do you think that this, the influencer bubble has burst? Um, and just in the way that we talk about the influencers that we, in the definition we've come to know these people with massive followings that the brands, you know, hire to, to promote on their behalf. Um, do you think that's coming to an end?
2: I think, it is close to bursting, but I think more so that it's just it's evolving into a a new landscape, a new thing. Um I think probably what the influencer world is now is is very, very close to bursting. But you know, brands are gonna be spending upwards of almost a hundred billion or something on influencer marketing in the next few years. So we can't say that it's off because there's still brands who are just waking waking up to it. Um, but I think that the really disruptive D2C brands who've embraced this early, realizing that actually for success and for relevancy now, uh, they, they can't just use influencers.
1: And so when you think about where this is all headed with Zyper's communities growing and the rise of these dark platforms and, and how brands are going to get in on that. Uh, what does that mean for for traditional marketing? Or do you think it's more a matter of brands figuring out you know where their community is and where they need to be? Uh, you, when you think about how marketing strategies need to evolve, what do you think is is coming next?
2: Yeah, I think in terms of evolution of marketing strategies, you cannot ignore that community needs to be a part of it. And Uh, a multi-tiered strategy is I think what all brands are going to still be doing you know Facebook will still play a role Um, outdoor advertising will still play a role in some influencer marketing may still play a role but we're definitely seeing brands start building community teams who are really just focused on managing tools like Zyper and ensuring that their customers are a part of their marketing department and I think that shows shows no sign of stopping. That's where we're going.
1: And I think an interesting question that that has come up a few times, when you think about what really drives, you know, passion and community, what really drives that word of mouth and that customer loyalty over time, when you you take into consideration like brand storytelling, community, or just the product itself, what do you think actually drives people to want to talk about something?
2: I think... We see that people love talking about things that have a cause related to them. So it's not just that I love the product. Of course, that is still important that you love, you know, the product brings you value and perhaps there's a status element to it too. But particularly when brands are open about their values and the causes that they care about, people really want to get behind that and be part of that conversation. So anything that brands did, can do to just be more honest with what are their values as a brand, people want to align to that and not just the product.
1: Great, well, we're just about a of time, but thank you so
0: much, Amber, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Hillary. Last year was the highest number of school shootings on record. As kids across the country head back to school, we must protect them and teach them how to prevent violence before it happens. Sandy Hook Promise is planning a new back-to-school PSA to show parents, kids, and educators the importance of knowing the signs of gun violence prevention, and we're looking for media donations to help us spread this message. Please visit SandyHookPromise.org to get involved and help us protect children from violence in schools.